This is a podcast of First Presbyterian Church of Trenton, Michigan, a gospel-centered community seeking to glorify God by making, maturing, and multiplying disciples. For more information, check out fpchurch.tv. If you have your Bibles with you, you'll want to turn to Psalm chapter 16. We'll be reading the entirety of Psalm 16 this morning. Preserve me, O God, for in you I take refuge. I say to the Lord, you are my Lord. I have no good apart from you. As for the saints in the land, they are the excellent ones in whom is all my delight. The sorrows of those who run after another God shall multiply. Their drink offerings of blood I will not pour out or take their names on my lips. The Lord is my chosen portion and my cup. You hold my lot. The lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Indeed, I have a beautiful inheritance. I bless the Lord who gives me counsel. In the night also my heart instructs me. I have set the Lord always before me. Because he is at my right hand, I shall not be shaken. Therefore my heart is glad, and my whole being rejoices. My flesh also dwells secure. For you will not abandon my soul to Sheol, or let your Holy One see corruption. You make known to me the path of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you so much for this opportunity to gather, to worship you. We thank you for this psalm. We thank you for the truth that you are faithful, that you are good, that you are God, that you are mighty, that you are powerful, and yet you have invited us into your family through your son, Jesus Christ. All those sins that we talked about just a few minutes ago, you've forgiven in Christ, and you lavish grace upon us. You care for us day by day and moment by moment, even when we take our eyes off of you and we forget, Lord, even when we are unfaithful, you are perfectly faithful and perfectly good for your own glory and for the sake of your Son. And therefore, we have every reason to praise you, to lift up our voices to you, to rejoice in you, Lord, what a privilege it is to be here among your people, praising your name. Would you help us through every moment of this day that's been set aside to rest in you? Would you help us to see that? Would you help us to see you more clearly? Would you help us to see our constant desperate need of you and your sovereign grace? And would you help us to rejoice in that? Would you help us to live out our lives in a way that pleases you? putting sin to death and and actively obeying you. Lord, help us to build one another up, as your word says in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, encouraging one another in the gospel, reminding each other when we're down, when we're depressed, when we're discouraged, when we're sick, when we're facing death. Help us in each of those situations to point each other back to the truth of who you are and how much you love us not for anything in us, but because you are just that good. 
God, I pray that today in everything that we, we talk about and sing about and pray about that we would be encouraged and that you would be glorified. Lord, we recognize that there are many in this congregation and in your church who are struggling, whether that is internally in a way that nobody else can see. Maybe we look fine on the outside, but inside we are struggling with doubts and discouragement. Or maybe it is something that we can see. Maybe it's physical ailments and and facing death and not being able to do the things that we were once able to do as we uh, deal with those consequences of sin in our body, the fact that we live in this fallen world. Lord, you're the God who heals whether it's internal or external, whether it's our bodies or our minds and our spirits. Lord, you are the answer to every single one of those problems. So we pray that you would meet us in the midst of our need, that you would remind us of your grace and your your power, that we would be comforted. Lord, I thank you that you are such a good God. Thank you that you hear our prayers, uh, that we can come to you knowing that you care for us, that you know us more intimately, more nearly than, uh, than we even know ourselves or that we know each other, and yet you love us. God, we thank you for this opportunity this morning to hear from Pastor Chris. I pray that as he preaches the word to us this morning, as we take a deeper look at this psalm, I pray that your Holy Spirit would speak through him, that your Holy Spirit would appoint, uh, anoint the words of, of the scripture and apply them to our hearts. I pray that we would see Jesus more clearly this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, good morning, everyone. It's great to be here with you all. I'd just like to thank uh, Aaron and the elders for inviting me to speak to you all this Sunday. And uh, Aaron took me out last night. I had this thing called a bread pencil. It was the size of my face. It was amazing. Uh, It fed me. But we gather here on Sunday to be fed by God's word, don't we? So please have, if you can, Psalm 16 open in front of you this morning. But before we jump into that, Psalm, don't we as people actively avoid what we cannot do, right? Like if you're unable to swim... Uh, we'd stay clear of lakes, or in Scotland, lochs. You don't go near them because you might drown me. Stay away from water. If you can't sing, your worst fear is to go to karaoke because you just can't hit that high sea, right? So you don't go to things like that. If you're physically not fit, you avoid doing pull-ups or push-ups or press-ups, anything that would tax you. We as people naturally just naturally avoid what we cannot do. And I'm speaking from experience here. I left school at 15, and in my early uh, 20s, I could uh, barely read and write. And it was around this time that we started going to churches, started going to prayer meetings. And I would sit in fear at some of these meetings because the minister or elder would just kind of pick someone at random uh, to read from the Bible. And I would sit there thinking, please, Lord, don't let it be me. I don't want people to know I can't do it. I don't want to like, be exposed like that. So naturally, what did I do? I stayed away. I stayed at home. I went to a place where I know I wouldn't be challenged. Because when we can't do something, it's quite exposing, right? We feel vulnerable. We feel, in some ways, less than. 
And instead of going to these uh, Bible groups and Bible studies, as I should have, I stayed at home. And I was the less for it. But I think we can all understand that feeling of avoiding something because we can't do it. But we may feel weak, vulnerable. It's easy to do what we know makes us strong, right? And if that's us today, then the Bible has some bad news, and it is really bad news for us, but it has some awesome, wondrous news for us as well. The bad news of uh, the Bible is this in short, that we cannot save our own souls. It's an impossibility for us. It's impossible no matter how good we are, uh, no matter how nice we are, no matter how well respected we are. The bad news of God's word for us is that sin has so broken us, so corrupted us, that we're beyond self-repair and self-correction. Right? It's like the glass, you drop a glass and it shatters almost into dust. There's no way to put them back the way it once was. We can't self-correct, self-repair. There's no way for us to save our own souls. So we need to send up an SOS uh, message. Now, an SOS is like, uh, it's a sailor's term. Um, Recently in Scotland, we had a big storm in the North Sea, and this massive oil tanker got caught just in the waves, and it was full pelt forward. All the engines were running. It wasn't moving. And they sent up an SOS, which is save our souls. In the, in the storm, in the moment, there was nothing they could do. All their power was weak against the waves. So they were looking to the Coast Guard to come and save them. But here, this morning, we need to send an SOS outside of ourselves. And the awesome news of the gospel and the awesome news of this psalm is that we're told that God can and does save souls. Not only does he save, but he secures them. He secures our destiny in heaven with himself. And even in life when we feel so broken, so done in, so hurt, even when life feels chaotic, he can draw near to us. His presence can be with us. That indeed there's only one safe space for your soul, and that's with God, your King. He's the sinner. Of, uh, he's the Savior of sinners, the Lord of losers, and the King of His church. And He invites us into relationship with Himself. So our our Sam this morning. Uh, I might be saying that a bit weird, but that's what we say in Scotland, Sam. Uh, Our Sam this morning is awesome uh, because it teaches us about God and his character. And also it's awesome because it's all an offer for you today. Uh, It's all an offer for you today. Therefore, if you feel weak today, that you realize that true change is impossible for you, that self-salvation is beyond you, and that you are sending up an SOS this morning, Take heart, because this psalm tells you God hears you and is offering himself to you. Not to solve your problems. Like, Christians aren't problem-free people, right? And like, a lot of people are nodding. <laughs> but we're not. God doesn't just make life happier or better, but he gives us his presence. 
That's how he responds to us. He changes our hearts by a new relationship with himself that gives us a new heart and a new perspective on our challenges. So our path forward is quite a simple one this morning. We're going to read the psalm together. We're going to apply it to our hearts and think upon it. This psalm, Psalm 16, if you have it open in front of you, could be split down the middles. Uh, The first six verses could be seen by faith. All this is possible by faith. The last few verses, 7 to 11, could have a heading because of a faithful God. And if you only take away one point this morning, because normally in my church plan, people have a doze now and again, so I try and give one point, it would be this, that by faith God is our saviour, our refuge, our portion, and it is only because he is faithful that we can say the ending words of this psalm, that you make known to me the path of life. In your presence, there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Or to put it this way, God saves us, God leads us to the path of life and gives us fullness of joy and safety at his hands. That's what the psalm is teaching us today. So let's jump into this marvelous part of the Psalter. And verse 1 opens up from the psalmist calling out from a heart, heart of faith. He is asking the Lord to preserve him, meaning there's a drain, right? on the right, or there's something happening in his life, meaning there's some level of fear here, not being sure of what the situation he is facing ahead of him. Uh, We don't know from history when this psalm was exactly written, but I think we can all connect with or know um, the feeling of dread that something's going to happen in the week ahead of you, right? Something's coming up, it's in the diary, And you don't know if you have what it takes to face that. You don't know if you're going to come out of it unscathed, unhurt. You don't know what it's going to be like. It might be nervous, fearful. You know, it might empty you emotionally, right? That's the position of the psalmist here. And by faith, what does he do? He turns to God. The psalmist is all too aware of the bad news of the gospel, that he is incapable. The the writer is aware of his own weakness and limitation, and by faith is reaching out to the Lord for what in verse 1? It's right in the text. For refuge, right? Refuge. The, The writer of this psalm is using the eyes of faith and is looking to the Lord to be his safe space his resting place, a place of strengthening, a place where he can just be. Not an answer to his problems, but actually somewhere where he can rest. This uh, reminds me of another psalm, Psalm 121. It says, I lift up my eyes to the hills. From where does my help come? My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. That Psalm 101, when it says, I lift up my eyes to the hills, that's the high places, the places that were like normally places of idol worship. My, my help doesn't come from there. It doesn't come from these places. It comes 
through the Lord who made everything, right? The safety, the help, the aid, the preservation doesn't come from God doing something for the psalmist, but it comes, the help comes by God's presence drawing near. That he knows his God is with him. He knows his character, that he's holy, just, and good. The presence of the Lord is his aid and shelter. No quick fix here. The psalmist goes further. Now that the Lord has drawn near and he is his rescue, look at verse 2 here. The, the psalmist attributes all that is good in him to God being with him, right? His language is, I say to the Lord, you are my Lord. I have no good apart from you. Now, we need to be clear here because this can sometimes be misunderstood. The psalmist is saying, that he's not saying that he's a rubbish person. He, he has goodness, right? But what he's saying is it counts as nothing to the goodness of God. Think of it like this. Uh, get a small match or a lighter, and you strike it up or you strike it, and it gives off light, right? We would all agree with that. It gives off heat a wee bit. But now do that and hold it up to the Michigan sun in the sky. It would disappear, wouldn't it? The sun gives so much more heat. It's so much brighter, so much grander. That's like human goodness, the match, compared to the glory and goodness of God. It pales in significance. Right? God is so good compared to the psalmist. And the psalmist is saying, the best of me comes from God because he is good by faith the psalmist is seeing that his goodness or his self-righteousness is garbage compared to God's goodness and God's righteousness but the beauty here is that realization by faith doesn't bring despair like if someone came up to you and said man, you're just a rubbish person, right? You'd be like, heart to the core, right? You'd be like, that's such a hard thing to say. Here the psalmist is not crushed, but hopeful. Why? By faith, he is living in the goodness of God. His faith has transformed him and given him a new perspective. And this new perspective doesn't change just the way he sees himself, right? If we look at the next line, what does the next line in Psalm 16 say? It goes on to say, as for the saints in the land, they are excellent ones in whom is all my delight. Now, guys, it's only by faith we can be transformed enough to see our church family like this. I always say to the lads in our scheme, the church is a family, and like any family, we have the loud aunt, the crazy uncle, the annoying wee brother, the loud sister, you know. Uh, church is messy, right? And so often in churches, we can start to emulate what the world does, and that's compare, contrast, compete, gossip right? We can start to do that, but if we are living by faith, if 
we're resting in the goodness of God, if he is our saviour and rescuer, then we can look at each other as saints, excellent ones, in whom we take delight. That should be the heart of the Christian to our brother and sister in Christ. I love what C.S. Lewis says about uh, believers. He says, outside the sacraments, the next holiest thing you can touch is another Christian. Because Christ died for them. He's sanctifying them. They are holy. If we are not resting in God, if we are not living in His goodness, if we are not walking by faith, then the church will just be like the world. It'll be a gossip-filled, backbiting cesspool of self-righteousness where we're competing against one another, critiquing one another. But we then don't reflect the goodness of God. We lose that. And the, the danger in this passage is we see a contrast before the first three verses and verse four. Verse four kind of snaps us a wee bit. It says this, the sorrows of those who run after other gods shall multiply. Their drink offerings of blood will not pour out or take their names on my lips. Look at the language here. Is it not like lying complete contrast to what came before it? It's tiredness, it's exhaustion, it's works. Works-based righteousness, right? It's pain, which is contrasted with the goodness, delight, and safety of God. The person now is a man of many sorrows. And I don't know your situation, um, what your past week is, but you don't have to be too long in the tooth, as we would say in Scotland, to feel sorrow, to feel that heartache that goes to the core of us. And one thing we would say is so tiresome, right? When we're grieving, when we're feeling that weight in the heart, it drains us. A day becomes challenging. That's this picture of this guy here. The language is deliberate. And what, would, what do we look, look for when we're sorrowful? Uh, when we're like, well, most of us want to go to bed, right? To rest up. Why? Because it's refuge. It's a safe space. But here, this sorrowful man doesn't turn there. Instead, what's, what's the language of the text? It says, the sorrows of those who run after. Not only is this person carrying many sorrows, but now he's running. And if you're a big lad like me, that is exhausting as well, right? That's hard to do. Uh, when I was uh, flying, I flew into Atlanta airport and uh, I went to gate E11, which my app said, and my plane was at F1. So I had to sprint and I remember running and praying, Lord, you know I'm fat and unfit and in your providence, if I miss this flight, I'll try to be okay with it, but please don't let me miss this flight. And I got on the flight and they closed the gate, which was, praise God, I got there. But tiresome, right? Sprinting. Physical exhaustion paired with emotional strain. That's what this passage is teaching us here. And what is doing that? Well, it says here, he's, they're chasing after we gods, the small g, Right? This wee God offers no hope 
no rest, no preservation. It is the almost complete opposite to the start of the Lord of heaven and earth who offers refuge, right? Exhaustion, fear. There's even a graphic metaphor here of um, emptying out one's blood into an offering, right? And normally when that offering's full, it would be poured out. But here he psalmist says it's not being poured out and it's graphic because what it's shown is this little god demands your all it's never good enough it's never going to fill that cup right and the question for us then naturally has to be asked what is the we god that you're running after what is the we god that is secretly killing you what is the we god that demands your all and is offering you nothing, nothing in return. You know, that can be materialism. That could be a wee God. Um, like iPhones, Apple have perfected this. You know, every 12 months, a new iPhone, right? And generally, it's got one tiny change, but we chase after it. Next one is green rather than silver, and we want it. And before long, we're in debt because we're buying new phones every 12 months that cost a grand, uh, thousand pounds, a thousand dollars, sorry. Uh, I keep forgetting. A uh, thousand bucks. Um, but right, and then we feel the weight of that. It could be a relationship. That mindset, if I just got that girl or that guy, they'll make my life better. Right? And the rejection of that crushes you because it's a wee God that's sitting in the throne room of your heart. It offers you no hope, no rest, and ultimately no acceptance. So then what do we fall into as Christians? Works. Self-righteousness, right? If I only do this, if I only meet this standard, and man, that is a quick way to get a better judgmental heart, Right? What is the wee God that's shaping your heart, your life, that needs cut off? It's only by faith that this psalmist is experiencing the closeness of God. And the psalmist is wanting to introduce you to him through this psalm. He puts it this way. The Lord is my chosen portion and my cup. You hold my lot. The lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Indeed, I have a beautiful inheritance. Do you see the contrast? The, the Lord he's wanting you to see today? The Lord is his portion, full to the brim, complete, sufficient for that day, a portion given to you. Not only that, it's not that now the guy has to empty his blood as an offering. What does he say here? The Lord is his cup. The Lord is offering himself to you. It says here that he holds our lot, meaning our future. That's really comforting to me. We're not here by accident. We've not just stumbled through life. The Lord is sovereign. And we may have questions at the end of the day we want to ask them, why did you take me there? Why did that happen? I know I've got those questions. But I'd rather 
speak to and ask a good, gracious God those questions and just think the world's chaos. He holds our lots. The lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Indeed, I have a beautiful inheritance. This is the the Lord, the psalmist, wants you to meet and see today that he is pleasant that he is in control, and that he is an inheritance for his people in heaven. How beautiful a God. We must recognize that the psalmist can only say these things. He can only make these wonderful claims because we have a faithful God, right? That's the foundation to all his cries that go before it. That God is faithful in his care, in his love, and in the preservation of his people. That God is faithful and leads us in our salvation and gives us faith to see him. The psalmist has a clear sense of the faithfulness of God. Look at verses 7 and 8 of Psalm 16. I bless the Lord who gives me counsel. In the night also my heart instructs me. I have set the Lord always before me because he is at my right hand. I shall not be shaken. Faithfulness of God. The psalmist blesses the Lord here and he highlights that the Lord gives him counsel. That God speaks and instructs his heart. Now notice the language here because it is very important. The language is counsel, not coerce, right? So God isn't about putting your arm up your back and making you do something, right? He's not coercing you. What he does is he counsels his people. He speaks to them to highlight the wee gods that are uh, subtly trying to ruin their lives. And friends, this is also why um, the language here is important because it's also why Christians sin. Because We turn from listening to the counsel of God. We turn um, from his instruction and we think, oh, I'll just do it my way. It'll be better. And that's when we normally stagger. It's normally when we sin. But the Lord, his faithful, draws near to our hearts, counsels us, even when we screw up and mess up. Because he is faithful and the psalmist is wanting us to see him. And how does God counsel us? Well, he gives us his word, right? Fully, wholly, completely. So we're not running around wondering how to please God. He counsels us through his word. And because of that, the writer can then say here in this psalm, I shall not be shaken. Friends, far too many Christians are like James Bond's martini. Um, shaken and not stirred by the word of God, right? Shaken by what's going on around us, shaken to the core. And actually, we would find that we will not be shaken when we're stirred by the scriptures, when we're stirred by the psalm, when we see he is faithful, that he counsels us, even messy, annoying me, He counsels and loves. And God has been so good to us that he's given us his holy word. 
His faithfulness to us means that in any situation, in any circumstance you may face in your life, you have access to his words, to hear his voice. And this reality, again, makes the psalmist do what we've just done. We have sung praise to him. Look, verses 9 and 10. Therefore, my heart is glad and my whole being rejoice. My flesh also dwells secure, for you will not abandon my soul to Sheol or let your Holy One see corruption. No, it's nothing's changed here. God hasn't fixed whatever situation was bringing dread and the cry for refuge at the start. But by faith, he's leaning on the faithfulness of God and he's like, I can rejoice because he is faithful. The heart of the psalmist is glad because he knows he's secure in what his Lord has done. And this just rings of the cross. It just almost brings us 2,000 years into the future when Christ is on the cross and crying out, it's finished. What was finished on that day? What was completed? Well, what was done was all our brokenness, all our sinfulness, all our shame that would separate us from a holy God was placed on his son, Jesus Christ who went down into Sheol so that we don't have to, into the depths, into the darkness. That's what that word means. Complete abandonment so that we will never have to journey there. He who knew no sin became sin for us, for his people. Jesus died in our place so that we may live in him. And he done this, why? Because he's faithful. He's a faithful God. We're told in the scriptures that he could call down legions of angels. Legions. But chose not to because he was faithful to the end for you and for me. I think one of the most marvelous things I read recently was even if Jesus was to come and die for just you, he would have. That's how great his love is. Just one person. Such is his love. Such is his faithfulness. So the psalmist then builds on this and says, you've made known to me the path of life. In your presence, there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Now, this is a great evangelistic tool. I dare you this week to go out into your neighborhood or speak to your uh, unbelieving family and ask them if they want life, uh, joy, and pleasure evermore, and see if they say no, right? Who would say no to that? I want to give you life. I want to give you pleasure, fullness. Be mental. Uh, well, that's Scottish word. <laughs> uh, crazy to do that, wouldn't it? But actually, that's what Christ offers everyone. Life in abundance. Joy in his presence. And an eternity of pleasure with him. And the pleasure is, again, guys, not things that some of our religions would say. The pleasure comes from what? His presence. Which the psalmist is resting in at the start. It kind of bookends this. Right? So if you're facing this week a situation that you feel is going to drain you, 
and is bringing dread. Turn to the Lord. Rest in him. Do what the psalmist does. If you're tired and exhausted here today, as something you know is shaping your life in front of you, you're chasing after something, look to the Lord and ask him to reign in your heart and get rid of this wee God because it'll just exhaust you. If you are here today and you wonder, does God love me? Well, look at the cross. He loves you that much. He sent his only son so that you should not perish. Turn to him. Trust in him. Because he is a faithful God and responds to everyone who calls out in his name. And the beauty of our God is he gives us the faith to trust in him. So it doesn't demand or require or depend upon human goodness, human faith as a gift from our Father. And the greatest thing is, when God gives a gift, he doesn't take it away, right? So we can be secure when we call and rescue, that we can rest in him, and we can experience the path of life, the presence of God that we will find joy in, and know that we have an eternity, an inheritance with him forever. Let me pray for us. Dear Heavenly Father, we just, Lord, come before you and thank you that you are so faithful. Even, Lord, we must confess when we are not. Lord, we thank you that you are abounding in grace. And Lord, we need that today. Help us, Lord, fix our eyes on Jesus Christ, the author and perfecter of our faith. Lord, help us in our daily walk with you, to listen to your counsel and instruction that draws near to us through your word and through the power of the Holy Spirit. And Lord, we ask that you fill us with your supernatural love, your supernatural grace, your supernatural mercy, because we, uh, Lord, know that we can so quickly um, become dry in our love, distant in our mercy, uh, Lord, that we can even be despairing, but we pray, Lord, that you're the fount of these things, so help us just come to you when we feel run, like we're running on empty, and Lord, pray that you would help us see each other as excellent ones, that, Lord, we would delight in one another as sons and daughters of the Most High. Lord, save us from a critical spirit. Save us from gossip. Save us from comparing against one another or contrasting against one another. Lord, we thank you that you have called us into this church. We thank you for the leadership of this church. We pray that you bless them. And Lord, that you bless us today with a closeness, with a real sense that Jesus dwells in us and the joy of our salvation. Amen. This has been a podcast of First Presbyterian Church in Trenton, Michigan. For more information, please visit us online at fpchurch.tv.